What is up guys? Welcome to episode 42 of Into the Van and the first episode of 2022. I really hope you're doing well. I hope you had a good Christmas break. I hope you had a good new year. I hope you had a good rest of 2021 as well. You know, I kind of disappeared from October for a bit of a hiatus just because I just didn't have the bandwidth. I didn't have the mental uh, patience or stamina to carry on with Into the Van at that time. I was getting married, which was fucking amazing. We went to Loch Ness for our honeymoon. It was so fucking cool we got to see badgers and pine martens and you know take a boat out onto Loch Ness uh, before that I went on tour with Cam Cole so I just didn't have the time or energy to carry on with into the van unfortunately and as it goes that was the thing I could afford to drop at that time but we're back now we're back together and we're back with a brand new guest Grave Dancer who I'm excited to you know share this conversation with before we get into that I really hope you're doing well. I've got a new single coming out soon, Mothman. I'm really excited. It's got drums. It's got fiddle. It's a trio. Is this going to be a band that I'm going to hopefully take around 2022 and beyond? I really fucking hope so. It's really great. It's so much fun to do. And I really hope when the track comes out, you understand how much fun it was to get this long. And yes, it's a song about a giant moth, but it's more than that. I hope you appreciate it. Um, The Next Life, it was nice to get back on the road with Cam and actually start playing those songs again for people and you know merch sales online aren't that great meeting people face to face it flew off like hotcakes man i was made up so if you'd like to grab a copy of the next life head over to mike333west.com you can head over to the store on my band camp and pick something up there i'm gonna drop a little teaser in for you now you enjoy it again head over to mike333west.com to pick up your copy of the next like we've still got white vinyl with gatefold we've still got cds there's digital copies but enough about me let's talk about grave dancer grave dancer is baker mckinney i first found out about baker and grave dancer with he used to be in sean james and the shapeshifters obviously sean james was the first guest on into the van and sean covered one of baker's songs eating like kings so that's where i first knew about grave dancer and then on sean's most recent uk tour which was in october grave dancer was opening the shows on that tour so i got to see him in chester we had a little talk and a catch up after that gig it was great and we stayed in contact since and this week was meant to be the start of his uk tour but unfortunately due to everything that's happening with the pandemic and everything being reshuffled that tour has now been moved to june so from the 7th of june 
He's going to be in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Newcastle, Leeds, Sheffield, London, Southampton, Hastings, Manchester, Belfast, and Dublin. And I strongly urge you to go get tickets for these dates. I also don't want to forget that he will be playing a rogue country event on the 29th of June with the mighty possessed by Paul James. So that's a phenomenal bill in my hometown of Birkenhead. I'm putting the show on because I really do love possessed by Paul James. And when a new grave dancer was going to be about, I had to ask him. So tickets will be available for those soon. I strongly urge you to go check out Baker. Grave Dancer is a phenomenal songwriter, and I really think you'll fucking dig it. Every Kind of Dog is a phenomenal album. It shows his depth and his range and his heartbreak and his life lessons and his wisdom that's just been hard-earned. But he's also really fucking funny. He's a great guy to talk to. This was a brilliant chat. I've been enjoying just shooting this shit with him, and he's a really, really lovely guy. So let's do it. Without further ado, this is episode 42 of Infant Man with Mike West and Grave Dancer. Are you a big Christmas guy? Are you a festive person? Um, I'm I'm not like Christmas sweater sporting uh, type thing, but probably just because I don't have any. Yeah, I probably would sport one if I had one, but I'm I'm not a Grinch by any means. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I like Christmas, man. Yeah, cool. You have two kids under four. Does that help in the whole Christmas thing? Because I know me and my missus, we're kind of like we don't really care at the moment. But I think if there was a kid in the mix to like see it through their eyes and shit, it just kind of like brings. Oh, oh, yeah. to it. oh it's, it's it brings like the whole Christmas magic all all the way back. Like like my kids can't stop pointing out every single Christmas tree or Christmas <laughs> lights they see. Like every single house is as exciting as the last. So, <laughs> yeah, it it's hard to be a Grinch when your kids are that stoked on it. <laughs> nice man. And you're up in Scotland now. How long have you been up there for? When did I'm you move? Here... Uh, since 2017, mm. uh, fall 2017, yeah. Cool, man. And what was, like, the reason behind the move? Because you was it Arkansas you're from, and that's where you were living, and then you moved yeah. over here? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I, like, I'm, I'm not Scottish <laughs> at all, but my great-great-great-great-granddad was... Um, so I always wanted to go visit, and it's like that classic story while traveling. Um, I met a woman, but yeah, I, I was working. You ever heard of Oban? Yeah, on the west coast. I was working at a farm near Oban, felling trees, and I had like weekends off, so I'd go into Oban to like party and go to pubs and stuff. Uh, and I met my wife at a Weatherspoons in Oban. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, and yeah, four or five years later, um, here I am. Yeah. That's the Is it been like, obviously, as a musician, America kind of has always seemed like this promised land of, you know, you could probably tour one state for a month and not get bored. While, oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. While with the UK, you can pretty much travel the entire thing in two, three weeks, maybe four, if you want to get to the smaller towns. Yeah. With kind of your music, have you found moving to Scotland impacted that? Um, you mean influencing me or, or as far as like touring like, goes? It, it touring, because I think obviously you're touring in January next year. Have you toured much of the UK? 
I really have. I did. Um, I've done one UK tour, UK mm. and Ireland. That was uh, when I met you. Yeah. Um, last fall, right? October. Yeah. Um, I had every intention of like, I had this like idea of moving here and like taking Scotland by storm and touring all over the place. Uh, and then kids happened. Yeah. And then <clears throat> I was in a, <clears throat> pardon me. I was in a nearly fatal car wreck mm. shortly after moving to Scotland. And it took me almost two years to recover, like a year and a half to heal up from it. Fuck. Um, and then like right as I started healing up and being like, okay, time to start getting the music going now. Fucking COVID. So it's just been joy after joy. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, deterred. Mm. I'm determined, but yeah. it's, it's been hurdle after hurdle, but it looks like it's finally taken off. Mm. Good man. And with obviously being from Arkansas, you know, I want to get into the Azalea video down the line, but you had like Nick Schultz and then obviously you're friends with him from the shapeshifters yeah. in that era. Was it hard to not have that community around you when you moved to Scotland? Because is there much of a music scene up where you are a community? Um, none whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's actually been really challenging. Mm. Um, yeah, because like, like you just said, I, I, where I come from is a huge, like the Ozarks is mm. huge music hub. Like, for touring acts as well as just like anybody who's anybody can play some kind of instrument and you just show up at parties and like hootenannies break out and shit, you know? Mm. So it's been quite an adjustment, but, yeah. um, but like meeting you and going on this tour and I'm like, I'm slowly now getting plugged into the like folk. Yeah. Uh, the, the rat people, you know, I'm, I'm getting plugged into the actual good music scene. Oh, good. Is there anyone from the UK scene that you knew when you moved to Scotland, when you started going on that tour with Sean in October? Are there any UK artists that you're aware of who you wanted to kind of connect with or gig with? Um, honestly, no, dude. I didn't, no. Um, I didn't really know anybody. This is all me just learning, um, flying by the seat of my pants type mm. thing. Yeah, because yeah, I know I, I, I look... I fucking like I saw the round that um Nick Shoulders, Willie Carlisle, and Dylan Ale did. Yeah, I, yeah. I was watching it him. Did. Yeah, last night I was watching the Heartworn Highways Revisited thing where it's all the people get together in Nashville and Guy Clark's there, and it's all like the younger uh, generation. Yeah, and, I'm, right. and I'm sat there and I'm like, I think the fucking closest person I have to me who I actually like to fucking hang around with and play guitar with is four hours away. I was just sat there like, this is fucking bullshit. Yeah. yeah but the but we're here we are we we are here it's, it's a, a few and far between but the community is i don't know if i'd say thriving mm. but i i don't know from from what i have gathered being brand new to the uk like music scene it seems like there's a huge surge of like folk and mm. like outlaw type stuff like you do. And mm. it seems like it's on the rise or about to explode. Yeah. But, I, I mean, yeah. I, I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe it's been here the whole time. We are in an interesting phase. I think, I think it, there wasn't really much in terms of the folk scene. Obviously it had like the diehard traditional folk scene, which was 
you know, the Celtic inspired stuff. And then the kind of obviously yeah. on, on the, on the Mersey. So the sea shanty and sailor style of things yeah. is like really rife around here. But in terms of like modern stuff, like I remember, like I started out in like 2015, 2016 playing while I was playing and no one in the UK that I could kind of recognize as my own type of stuff. And mm-hmm. that was when I started finding like Sean James and Amigo the Devil and those type. And I was like, oh shit, there is this type of music. It's just not in the UK. And yeah. then as those type of artists have come over to the UK, there's been, you know, like rumblings. And I got to do a couple of festivals down south where like Possessed by Paul James played and oh, right on. Okay. stuff. So it's like there there is slowly this talk, like type of music starting to get a foothold. And then it was the same thing in the country world where there wasn't much I don't want to use like real country but not pop country like you know Tyler Childers yeah, um, and stuff like when he <clears throat> yeah. first came over it was like a room of 80 people and then he's starting to sell out like 2,000 venue like like it's like venues or whatever 2,000 capacity and it's the same thing of when I saw like Sean James and Amigo the Devil come over it's like they started off quite small but you can just see each time it's just growing more and more yep. and it's really interesting to see that it's pretty much since like 2016 2017 this scene started to really develop which yeah. is really interesting and it's really exciting to see in the uk because you know i've been fucking dying for these type of artists and music oh, to come course, over yeah like bridge city sinners i think are coming over for the first time next year so it's like uh-huh. it's yeah. slowly starting to just like get a foothold yeah you um <clears throat> that last tour I did and then I I played like a festival in Dundee a couple of weeks ago. Uh the most consistent thing that people were asking me after the shows was like, So uh, what what kind of music is that? Like what do you what do I Google to find more stuff like you? There's nothing like this around here. Mm. Um, and why why is you say to them what are the buzzwords and Spotify algorithm terms that you uh, use into yeah well I, I was caught off guard the first few times I was asked it I had no answer prepared uh but now that I've been asked enough times <clears throat> uh, I just say like folk Americana mm. um I guess that I guess that's about it it's it's not really country that I'm yeah doing. yeah I try to songwriter maybe yeah you know? Singer songwriter is like quite a broad term as well, which is like that can be like anyone from like yourself to you know Elton John because they're technically right, a singer songwriter. Like, singer songwriter could be like the, the difference between Towns Van Zandt and Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, that's a that's a wide gap between yeah. the two artists, but they could both fall under it. Yeah, I kind of I use alt country because it seems the alt most country. That's a good one. The most like preferential but murder folk has been really getting like some weight behind it as like a genre okay. and as a term I'd, I'd say your stuff is a bit more murder folk than mine mm. like, a little bit more like bridge city centers that you yeah. were just talking about um, yeah well i think it's hard because i think folk means two different things or like in the states it means kind of like bob dylan and yeah, yeah. even like towns and like some of Guy Clark stuff, while over here it's more like Mumford and Sons occasionally, and then it's even way back to like the old folk clubs and that's going a, back to those type of things. Yeah, that's what I found here in Scotland is that when I went to go see folk music, I I wasn't complaining at all, but I found it was like bagpipes. Yeah. 
which is cool. But when they say folk music, they mean from 400 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hmm. uh, traditional music. Yeah. Like traditional folk music. Yeah. I just kind of, if there's like Americana slap like dark on the front of it, because that seems to be, I just, yeah. today especially, I've been like on Reddit and Twitter just like trying to find like little niche subreddits and people talking about like murder folk or dark americana or i've been put on a death folk playlist which is a thing apparently so it's all those type of terms where i'm just trying to fucking rattle my brain out to see what's actually sticking and what people will actually pay attention to yeah yeah because the thing i've kind of learned is it doesn't really matter what you call yourself it's what everyone else is gonna call you yeah it's the label that other people are gonna slap on you Mm. yeah and i mean like which is going to be difficult for people to do uh, with my music, man. Like you can't pigeon my hole. No. <laughs> like, some some songs are pretty standard, like uh, like Roger Miller almost country. Like Azalea is a mm. little bit more Roger Miller influence, and then like um, uh, like Anchor is a little bit more softer mm. sad sad boy alone in his room type stuff you know mm. yeah like anchor to me it kind of had benjamin todd meets john prine in terms of i will take a john prine reference <laughs> any day of the week yeah. thank you very much no worries man but with your music who were your early influences like what made you pick up i obviously know you play the banjo and stuff as well what made you pick up an instrument what was your first instrument uh, first instrument was guitar. Um, and actually, first song I ever learned to play was Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Nice. By Poison. Um, so, yeah, my early influence was actually like Kiss and Judas Priest and stuff. Like, that's it. This is the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I love Kiss. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was 11 or 12, like wearing like a knockoff you know first act but styled after a fender strat mm. um, sticking my tongue out as far as i could in front of the mirror type thing <laughs> and i think about three months later i finally learned a chord <laughs> mm. but yeah my my early influences were very rock and roll like early metal yeah um, and then like well growing up like my dad always had like delta blues like robert johnson mm. and then also like hank williams senior was a huge huge thing in our house roger miller ralph stanley like some actual classic bluegrass and mm. stuff so i grew up listening to that gospel and it just i don't know i don't know what led me to write the kind of songs i write is that a dog no it was my cat oh it's a cat well cats are cool yeah, yeah, I've got it. That was Cooper. It's just my entire room's a fucking tip at the moment. This is all just vinyl and CDs. I love it. Yeah, I'm jealous. It's just I turned mean, into a cat your vinyl and CDs are just your collection. And no, this is all uh, mine. Uh, so this is all my stock, which I'm just kind of buried in at the moment. How how long ago did you order that? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I did the super smart thing of releasing a record during the pandemic. So I got it all in August 2020. Um, I got, I I pretty much paid for the biggest chunk of it through pre-orders and shit. And that got a lot of stock out the way first. 
And then this year, I maybe sold like two or three online, and I have three hundred mm-hmm. copies of the fucking thing. Yeah. So it took so a while. To on that at live shows, pretty yeah. Much. And then yeah. I went on the road with Cam Cole in September, and a few uh, last week. Okay, yeah, so, I know Cam, not personally, but yeah. I know who Cam Cole is. Yeah, but then taking them out, like I literally went through like three boxes. Nice, like so, because nice. I had a load in that corners my guitar like cases and shit and i had like six boxes of fucking records in there as well yeah. so i've managed to solidify it into one all right looking cat tower at the moment cool yeah I, I like i looked into getting vinyl printed for uh for every kind of dog that i just put out mm. and there's a nine month wait list for yeah. every single vinyl company in the world pretty much yeah it's insane man adele took yeah. all the vinyl apparently for her record who did Adele? She printed like five hundred thousand copies of it on vinyl. So and that, this is that's Adele's fault. Apparently, from what I've heard through the internet and some suppliers, it is literally Warner Brothers or whoever she's with took all the vinyl. Okay, well, thanks for that, Adele. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's like she got rid of the Spotify shuffle thing, but she also got rid of vinyl for nine months. Hmm. Well, thanks, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the industry will catch up or it won't. Yeah. Only time will tell. Yeah. But going on to your records, obviously, your self titled EP was 2016. How long did you have those songs written for before you recorded them? For the first one in, in 2016? Mm-hmm. Um, probably like a year or two with most of them. Mm hmm. Um, and then Eating Like Kings, the, the, I think it's the closer on it. Um, I wrote that in 2008. So mm. I'd been, I, well, I guess, yeah, I gave that song to Sean James in uh, 2012. And then he uh, toured on it, put it on uh, his first record and everything. Mm. And then by request, uh, I, I put out my version. Mm. but yeah that's that's the song i had for the longest time before recording it mm. how come like what was the like this is obviously the eating like kings was 2008 how come you waited like eight years was it just like circumstance and things that took you like a while to sit down and like get the record done um yeah i mean honestly it was um <clears throat> uh if you don't mind me dumping my purse out on you no, it's fine. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I got out of the military in 2010. Hmm. Uh, and while I like toured with Sean James pretty extensively later on and everything, um, I just, I didn't really, I didn't have uh, uh, any kind of stability hmm. or or anything in my life for better part of that decade mm. uh, so a lot of the reason the the record took so long to get made is because i was too busy like being homeless and mm. drunk and drug addict and uh i, I had no no drive or motivation yeah. pretty much mm. and then i i can't remember what the catalyst was for me finally doing it in 2016 i guess 
I think a, a friend of mine suggested, you're going to finally do that or what? You're going to finally put out an EP or what, man? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Cool, man. And obviously with those songs that you obviously written over a space of time, was there a lyrical influence when you went into that record? Was there something you kind of were like, I want to show like this part of my life or this aspect of a thing? Or was it just those were the songs that came to you at that period of time. And like, this is what I'm documenting. Um, a little column A, a little column mm. B. Um, they, they did come naturally. Um, uh, I, I believe in the phrase, like, write what you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's I, I, the whole idea behind Grave Dancer for me was to, to put out things lyrically that I was ashamed or embarrassed of. And like, it was a brutal, honest songwriting Mm. was my goal behind it. Um, Not from the, like, from the perspective of I'm going to write the saddest song and look, (laughs) look at how woe is me. Me is woeer than you. Not from that, but just like taking that long look in the mirror Mm. those those parts of you that you don't want the world to see i intentionally set out to make that like the highlight of my lyrics mm. and no, that, that may be a really big mistake i don't think so man. i think that that ep i was listening to it again today and it's so strong and it's so deep in a way that you can relate to it but you still know that it's like someone's personal like it's from their own perspective. So you like, you yeah. know that it's not about you, but you can just like key into it really well. And I think that's a real great strength of your songwriting. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah and on, on the same note, I'm now trying to branch out a little bit. I'm not leaving that behind. I'll, I'll always leave my heart on my sleeve mm. um, or at least the sleeve of the LP, but I'm also trying to write songs that are a bit, a bit broader Mm. <clears throat> a bit more relatable to wider audiences and um which has been more of a challenge but like uh, uh what's it called what's that song called i wrote the damn thing uh the the spice of life mm. that was like that was one of my first forays into like trying to not step away from that brutal honesty, yeah. but also sprinkle in some more lighthearted shit among yeah. it. You know? Yeah. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, man, is I like, I don't know if it's the same thing, but I know that a lot of my songs are quite like dark or heavy and stuff. So I kind of make up for that by, you know, doing like just saying stupid shit on stage and trying to be like lighthearted and, you know, distract from the next thing or even being like, this next one's going to fucking suck. And I think from seeing you live, in October, obviously, you did the fucking Mr. Blobby theme. And I, <laughs> yeah. you have that lightheartedness to you on stage. Was that to counteract the material of the songs or was, the, was it intentional anyway? Or was it just, you know, with the dark comes the light? Oh, absolutely. It was intentional. It was like, <laughs> I was going through my set list and I was just, man, this is going to bum some people out. This is, it's just sad song after sad song after sad song. I got to fucking lighten the mood somehow. Mm. Um, and I, I was nervous about doing Mr. Blobby at first uh, because my wife, you know, we met in Scotland. Um, so she's a British citizen. 
Uh, I, that's how I know who Mr. Blobby is. But even she was like, well, bake, I don't, I don't know. They're either going to love it or throw their beer bottles at your face. <laughs> so I was a, a little bit nervous and like by night three, the crowds reacted so well. Like I'm pretty sure no one's even listening to any great dancer music at this point. They just want Mr. Blobby. <laughs> what was the thought behind starting to put that into sets? Did you learn it? just out of doing something and then be like, I'm going to put into a set or was it like, we need Mr. Blobby on this set list and you went out and learned it? Uh, it, it was more like once my wife showed it to me for the first time, I had like, had a few days to mentally recover. Yeah. You know, I had that initial shock of horror across my face. <laughs> uh, and I think it was just like, initially fucking with my wife around the house, just kind of plucking around on the banjo and like, came up i put mr the mr bobby thing tune in a minor key and then started singing it to her around the house and uh yeah it just kind of naturally progressed into the set list from there yeah (laughs) yeah and like the whole mr blobby thing like i remember it from the 90s like i remember being a kid and watching it and being like this is fine and it's not until someone's like what the fuck is that? Then he like, it's oh. not fine. yeah. And then you kind <laughs> of realize fine. like how much of a problem ecstasy and cocaine was in Britain in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the BBC thought Mr. Blobby was a good idea. Yeah. Like whoever not thought one, of it. Like, a whole team of people yeah. signed off on this. Like, yeah, sweet. It, it went through like it. 50 people. And then I wonder if the camera guy for the first taping was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I don't have enough coffee for this shit, man. But there's a guy out there who was Mr. Blobby, and he's just roaming around, anonymous, just in the streets. Right, like the dude behind the suit? Yeah. And he knows, and he's just got to carry that with him. Yes. Oh, my God. He is carrying the weight of Britain on his shoulders. (laughs) That must be what fucking Peter Parker felt like, you know? Just getting you know, getting on on the tube and seeing all these miserable people throughout the day, and just like if y'all only knew, if y'all only knew the secrets I hold in this in this inflatable head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, one day you might actually get to meet the guy if you keep doing it in your sets. Where it's got to trickle back somehow, dude. I just I'm just throwing this out there. Surely they make Mr. Bobby costumes. It doesn't even have to be the original. <laughs> someone please show up to a show as Mr. Blobby. <laughs> I, I need Mr. Blobby at a set. <laughs> like, it's just fucking the concept alone is absolutely baffling, but continuing with the lighthearted thing, the Azalea video. Yeah. How, how long did that take to film? Um, I think it took like four separate days, not like a full day, but I think we, we met up to film on four separate occasions, mm. four, four or five. And then like, yeah, something like that, probably over the course of three weeks, um, working on it mm. sparsely here and there. Yeah. And who came up with the concept of it? Cause I remember watching it and just being like, holy shit. Like it's such an entertaining video, and the more you watch it, the more things you notice happening. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like it honestly, dude. It, it's just it's my brainchild. It's <laughs> my brain comes up with stupid ideas, and I just kept rolling with it and kept rolling with it. Mm. And I'd like my my buddy Nick Fudge who filmed it. Like I would just he would just meet up with me to do another day, day of filming and had no clue what we were about to film. <laughs> and so he was, uh, he, he also was like, like, what the, the fuck is going on in your head? Like, how do you come up with this? Mm. Oh man. But again, was that an intentional thing to counteract obviously the lyrical content and the weight of the song? Was that your kind of idea to reconcile the two to find a balance? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, uh, it's a pretty light-hearted song musically. It's all in like a major key and like pretty upbeat. Um, but yeah, it's it's actually pretty sad. You know, it, her name wasn't Azalea, mm. but Azalea is a real person from my mm. life. Um, so yeah, to to counteract the the fact that it's kind of about domestic abuse, um, uh, I had to make it kind of funny and lighthearted in, in another way that's just me though man like i, yeah. I was the class clown like, yeah there's always but if you can't laugh what are you doing what are you doing yeah. with your life if you can't find some humor in some shit man yeah definitely i think that's the way i always kind of cope with shit is just to say the most inappropriate or trying to be like yeah. the funniest thing at the worst point in time yeah well i, I saw your coffee mug is oh, yeah. false <laughs> I do not miss him. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got yeah, this dude. one, and my missus has a fact. Yeah, and I get the false one, and she gets fact because she's always right. And it's that's <laughs> nice. so good. But yeah, yeah, the the office is is probably the closest thing I have to a religion. Mm. In that, not not that I like worship the characters or anything, but in the way that like people that that follow religions read their yeah. bible or whatever daily it's like oh, okay well i've seen this episode 12 times but maybe i'll find a new joke in it this time yeah you feel better yeah i was in um, a tattoo studio last month and they had it just playing because it's on netflix at the moment yeah and um, it was the episode where michael scott gets fired from dunder mifflin and idris elba's characters in and he's like trying to sneak everyone yeah. out to like start his own rival paper company. And I was like, oh, this episode's amazing. And the reception was like, it's just on in the background. I don't really pay attention to it. And I'm like, pay the fucking attention to it. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's just one of the best written shows of all time. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. I love, I went through Parks and Rack. I really enjoyed. And I've just finished yeah. like a rewatch of Shit's Creek, if you've ever seen that. I've never seen Shit's Creek. Oh, no. I love that it's hilarious, but it also just takes like U turns into just being like so heartwarmingly sad that you're just rooting for all these yeah. characters. It's probably like Always Sunny's, I think, is my favorite sitcom. And okay, then, all right. Like Office, Shit's Creek, and Parks and Rec are all fighting for second and third and fourth. Yeah. Well, so to bring us back to the UK, you know which one I just discovered, which has like risen to the top of my list. Mm. There's a show called Brassic. Oh yeah. If you've ever heard of it, it's it's like filmed in North Yorkshire, I think. Mm. Um but it is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. 
and but like you said it also the characters have a way of like the show will just take a u-turn real quick and it'll just like hit you right yeah. in the gut and like you'll be tearing up from sadness instead of laughter yeah. i've checked out i'm mean, not i don't know if i've heard of it or not but it's one of those things now where it's like there's so many shows getting recommended i don't have the like like you said i don't have the spoons to yeah picking up those things yeah only only so many spoons but dude if if you like all the stuff you just listed yeah i can't recommend it highly enough it's yeah. like i will do mine have you seen black books no nah. that's a channel four one from the early 2000s okay black, seen it, I'll, book. black books i'll send you some uh, clips from it with that so if you can track okay. down that cool yeah, like you, you gotta check out Brassic, man. It's <laughs> it's the it's the height of British comedy, in my opinion. Yeah, because that's the interesting thing, man. I think the British humor is quite interesting. I think there's some stuff that, like, I didn't like the UK Office, and I'm not a fan yeah, of. Yeah, like, I didn't care for it much either. Yeah, and I'm not a fan of like the It crowd or the IT crowd and uh, mm-hmm. Peep Show, and it's like it's that yeah. kind of really cringy, awkward humor. I'm not a fan of it. Just it just yeah doesn't like sit with me but I want I a punchline which you know I, I want a punchline oh yeah just cringe I, I want a punchline mixed yeah. in there too you don't want Ricky Gervais just sat there looking at you for 10 minutes being like <laughs> can, we just, yeah. can we move on from this now but that's I yeah. think I have quite an American sense of humor because I love like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and you know I always try and get episodes of Saturday Night Live if I can and shit yeah and a lot of my friends are just like I don't like that. it's a really weird dividing line for humor especially the british versus american yes my my wife's the same way like american humor is just never gonna be funny to her <laughs> yeah she and like she she's explained to me it's just stupid it's so stupid and i'm like yeah i know we're in on that joke yeah it's funny because it's stupid and she's like i'm too british to find stupid yeah funny. yeah that's what i was talking about did you do you watch always sunny in philadelphia yeah love it yeah that's one of the things, like, my miss, she likes it, but she doesn't love it. And she's like, they're just horrible people. And I'm like, that's the joke. That's they're, the joke. They're, they're We're all in on it. Horrible people. They're, yeah. they're, like, they're real-life cartoon characters. And it's just, I'm just, like, we've I've started rewatching it because I've been listening to their podcast. I've just been pissing myself at it in the evenings. Nice. I didn't know they did a podcast. It's, they, they're only a few episodes, and they go in episode by episode. But um, they are not talking about the episode. Like, they came in to the last episode and they parked like Glenn who plays Dennis had parked somewhere in the garage and was annoyed about how close other people were. So they paused the podcast to go down and measure the spots to see who, who'd actually <laughs> fucked okay. up. And it's, it's, I've been pissing myself. I, my mate told me about it and I'd had a drive to like Leicester, I think for a gig. So I just hammered like all the episodes that were out at the time, but that's fucking yeah. hilarious to give it a listen. Cool. Yeah. I'll check it out, man. Yeah. But who are you listening to at the moment, kind of music-wise? And, you know, if you listen to podcasts and stuff, is there anyone you're kind of listening to at the moment? Um, So musically, um, I've been listening to... uh, Let me me look that up for you real quick. Because I I listen... It's like, I'm sure you're similar. It's a constant rotation. Um, Oh, miasmatic necrosis great like um power violence grindcore mm. um i listen to a lot of metal and grindcore and stuff like that um i couldn't i couldn't recommend them highly enough me Mias- miasmatic necrosis 
and they put out an album called Apex Profane that is just like if you're into metal at yeah. all, it's like it'll tickle that itch, man. It'll get you there. Nice. Um, let's see who else I've been listening to a lot lately. Uh, constantly on hip hop too. That's probably not the answers you're looking for, but yeah, no, that's good, man. I love a bit of hip hop. Who are you listening to? Uh, one of my favorites is Black Thought. Mm. If you ever heard of Black Thought, is that he's in the roots as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. from the roots and like. Man, he's great. Joel Ortiz is awesome. Um, and of course, the the reigning king, rest in peace, Biggie Smalls. Mm. Yeah, I, I'll never put a turn a Biggie Smalls song off. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess as far as um, the more folk Americana style, um, John Charles Dwyer mm. has been a dude I discovered during this last lockdown. I think he's from one of the Carolinas, hmm. but man, check him out. He's got a record called heavy feathers and it is phenomenal songwriting, man. Really hmm. good. The whole, the whole record is just him and the guitar, but it's fantastic. Really digging on that. Cool, man. I don't know if you're the same, but I like, I always tend to gravitate towards metal and hip hop. Like I listen to a load of like Hobson or public enemy and things. Yeah, when I'm, yeah. Because yeah. if I listen to too many acoustic or, folk or country artists i start writing like that exactly and it just fucks me off to a point where i'm like i can't listen to these artists because it's just seeping in too much so yeah. i have to like just do a like palette cleanse like at the moment behemoth just released a new live album oh right on okay so i've been like listening to that my missus sent me that the other day so he's been having that on repeat this week but it's with yeah. anything with an acoustic guitar if i'm playing i can't be anywhere near it yeah, if if I'm especially if I'm in the middle of writing, exactly like you just said, I almost I almost avoid anything similar to that because I don't want to be influenced by someone else. I don't not influenced. I I don't want to like accidentally start trying to write in someone else's style. Yeah, um, and like I, I want the music I make to be just come from the wellspring within, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and obviously. I've got influences coming from every direction and you're going to hear a little bit of Roger Miller and some stuff and you're going to hear a little bit of whatever, Mm. but yeah, I'm the same way as you. I I try to avoid listening to a lot of it, Mm. especially when writing. And then once the record's done, that's when I can delve into it. Yeah. So I picked up when I was recording every kind of dog, I think John R. Miller had just put out, his yeah and i like started listening to it and i just like paused on that record because <laughs> i didn't want my record to end up being a copy of john r miller yeah. and as soon as i was done i got to dive straight into it and i've just been like listening to it on on repeat for months mm. ever since loving it yeah it's just such a good record. i picked it up from it the record store i got and like in my stupidity they email me a pre-order list every week like what's coming out <laughs> i'll um, take that i'll take that yeah and it's good man because like like we were talking about before where it's like the kind of like new wave of stuff coming through i was like holy shit john l miller's records available pre-order i was like yes i just yeah. got jamie wyatt's neon cross sierra farrell's yeah. i was like fuck like there's actually like these records sierra farrell's real good too man yeah really um diverse 
uh, across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I really dig that shit. Yeah. But John R. Miller's record is just fucking brilliant. He's coming over in That's March so and I'm good. so hyped for it. He's coming in March. Yeah. Damn it. I'll be on tour in the States in March. Ah. Uh, oh, well, maybe, maybe next pandemic. <laughs> yeah. But with obviously your tour and this October tour with Sean James, that was your first UK tour. What was the kind of, did you have any preconceptions or expectations beforehand? And what was it like doing the whole thing? Because it was three weeks, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was about three weeks. Um, show nearly every night there were a couple off nights but man i had no expectations um no idea what it was going to be like um and uh what i discovered is that hey people kind of like what i'm doing here Mm. so i'll I'll keep doing that then yeah Yeah. but yeah it it also it was incredibly helpful to be opening for sean because you know, I played in his band back in the day, but he never stopped. He never slowed down. And so I, I think I, I left his band in, tw- yeah, 2016, about the time when I put out that first EP. And then, man, he's just continued to grow and grow and yep. grow ever since. So it's, it was incredible to like be given that platform yep. to open up for. That was a, would have taken me a lot longer on my own without mm. having that uh, that step stool to stand on. Yeah. No, definitely, man. I'm in kind of a similar thing. Like when I was, so I started doing this in like 2016. End of 2016, beginning of 2017, I saw that he'd announced dates for like the UK. Oh, cool. Okay. And the first thing I did was email. It was Christian, like his uh, tour manager and stuff. And he was the one organizing. Oh, Carrington. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He was the one organizing the actual tour back then. And I was like, I really want to fucking get on this, man. Like, I'll and do it. Were you the opener for that? Tour? So for 2017, yeah. I opened four of the shows. Perfect. And it was yeah. it was just as that the um, Last of Us 2 trailer came out. It was right. just yeah. as that happened, is when the UK tour happened. And it was like, oh shit, like th- to see like his kind of rise. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's been grinding out for years, but to see that kind of like to see that exposure go from yeah. bottom of the charts to that real steep uprise, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that's obviously it's gonna play well for you. Obviously, you were in the shapeshifters. You've got that kind of built-in history with them that the fans will respond to. I think you're already, you know, starting off on a good hand with them. Yeah. You know, um, and because of The Last of Us, I think a lot of his fan base uh, came after Last of Us. So mm. and half the folks have no fucking clue who I am. Mm. But some of those diehard Sean James fans are always like, is that is that the old banjo player? The yeah. dude always had the black eye. Is that him? Because <laughs> yeah, even I was like, when obviously I had tickets for this tour just come. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, grave dancers playing i was like oh fucking hell he like shaped. i was like oh amazing obviously like sean got up and did a few songs with him and stuff there was a woman next to me who just burst into tears during um, american hearts oh god i'm sorry whoever <laughs> yeah. you are out there <laughs> but it's just to see the reverence that like that fan base has is really interesting i think and it's the same thing when i see kind of like 
the Amigo, the Devil Fellowship, and the certain artists around at the moment that just have like that diehard base, and it's a really interesting yeah. thing to see them and just like how people respond to that music. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's I respond to that music, yeah, that way, you know. Um, I, I, are you familiar with John Moreland? Yeah, like John Moreland. I'll hear the first like two chords of a John Moreland song before I'm can Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I I respond to that stuff and it's incredibly therapeutic for me. Um so yeah, if if anyone out there is getting that out of what I'm doing, mm. then I'm 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 doing something more than just for myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like Yeah. Definitely. I think communal, it's add to the community of, of healing and, and yeah. spiritual, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think once you get off, like if you manage to get off the open mic scene, it's because of that reason. It's because you've managed to connect with someone. Cause I see a mm, lot of people and it's yeah. like, like one of the things I would, that always pissed me off in open mics and it wasn't their fault. But it was like a 16 year old or a 15 year old who only had like breakup songs. Yeah, and you're like, how much heartbreak can you have in your fucking 15 years of being on this earth? And it's like, then you start seeing the songwriters who are taking that and then just exploring it and putting it into different avenues and bringing in other life experiences that then start getting them onto like you know touring or gigging in other places. And obviously, that's because they've then connected with an audience that gets what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. It, there's um there's a bit of that human connection that has to happen. And, um, sorry, water pressure's going crazy in my flat right now. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that, but it's loud as fuck over here. No, I can't. Oh, okay. Great. Um, yeah, I, I find that to be really interesting that, that human connection and it, it doesn't even have to be lyrical. Mm. Like, um, I listen to a lot of foreign music and stuff, and I don't understand a word that they're saying because I don't speak that language, mm. but it can touch something inside yeah. me. And it's no one can put their finger exactly on what that is. It's just something moves you, it moves yeah. you, you know. Um, and hey, there may be a 15 year old out there that writes a breakup song so good that it moves and touches a lot of people. Yeah. That's not unheard of. Yeah. But probably not. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, you'll get your heart broke a few more times. Yeah. <laughs> then come, get back come, to me. Yeah. Come back to me on your third divorce and we'll talk. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, I remember one of your lines that probably hit me when I saw you was in Anchor where it's uh, cocaine brings out more vultures than the dead. Yeah. And I was like, fucking hell, that's a brilliant line. Yeah, like, dude. I mean, if you if you know what that line means, you know <laughs> what that line means, man. You've been to that party enough times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you get, obviously, with the tours and with the next, do you get many people, like, are there any specific lines that people come back to you about and bring up like that line or has it been like a specific song that's resonated with lots of like people at the moment? Um, you know, everybody, I, I get messages from folks or like someone catch me at a show or something and, and put something in my ear. Uh, but it's pretty across the board. Mm. There's not one that I hear more than, than any other. I guess if, 
if there was any one more than another, it's probably eating like Kings. Yeah. Um, and I like, I've received quite a few messages over the years um, from a lot of the veteran community, mm. like British and, and American. Yeah. Um, just reaching out and saying like how much that song like meant to them and stuff. And, mm. and then I, I like, I don't know how to do a blushing emoji. So <laughs> I don't really know what to say when people yeah. do that. Hmm. Yeah. And with, obviously you've got a January tour coming up in the UK. Was that put together after the October tour where you got out there and you got the itch to be like, Oh shit, I can actually fucking go around and, tour places now or was that in the works like at some point this year beforehand uh no um i met my my booking agent um through live free tour booking out of belfast um it was at the belfast show and they just came up and asked if i'd be interested in doing a tour with them and i went well yes i would in (laughs) fact yeah let's do this man Mm. um and yeah, just no, I'm, I'm not going to slow down if COVID will allow me to. Yeah. I'm just going to keep going, man. Cool, man. And then there's an American tour in March. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots, lots of stuff in the books coming up, yeah. which I don't know what I'm allowed to, to <laughs> disclose yet or not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I maybe put my foot in it already, but. Yeah. This won't be coming out until, you know, January, just before your UK tour. So. Well, that's fine then. Yeah, yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll I'll be pretty I'll be pretty busy twenty twenty two. Cool man. Are you uh, and, well, in June I'm I'm able to open for possess for comrade. Yeah, by Paul James. Um, I think you're the one that hooked me up with that, aren't you? Yeah, man. So I'm yeah. putting on because it's the same thing because I'm putting on Sierra Farrell in January, okay, right. and I'm putting John L. Miller on in March. And, yeah. Okay. I didn't realize you were. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and again, that was just because there was this fuck all around here, mm-hmm. and I connected with a venue who is free to hire. So I was like, awesome. Too easy. Yeah. And then I was on yeah. like email threads with the agents, like Sedate Booking, who do all their artists. And then I saw Possessed by Paul James, like Conrad was coming over with the legendary Shack Shakers. And I was like, oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, fuck is he doing any solo dates? So I emailed him and was like, is he available for anything? And it was literally one day bef- between Manchester and somewhere else. So he's got a day off and he wanted to fill it. And I was like, if he wants to. And that's the one that you filled for. Yeah. Him. I was like, if he wants that's a headline it. gig, fucking hit yeah. me up. And then obviously I'd been connected with you in October. So I was like, I have to put fucking these guys on the same bill. Dude, thank you so much. That, that rules, man. No, man. It, it's, I literally like, I fucking despise putting gigs on. But the only thing I hate worse than putting gigs on is not having any good shows near me. So it's just, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to put it. the effort in. Yeah. Okay. But with I, I can't even wrap my head around putting the show on. Like I want nothing to do with that side of things. No, it's such you. You think it's going to be fun, and it's only fun for like the actual gig. And yeah, even like, then, it's like what's the gig? Yeah, after from like if doors are seven from like half seven onwards, you can maybe relax because mm-hmm. it's just yeah. in God's hands then. But the whole yeah. promotion side before then is just 
a nightmare, especially the way live music ends with COVID and stuff. It's just a grind. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, dude. Well, I appreciate you putting in the work for it because I don't want to do it. <laughs> no, man. I'll, one day I'd like to get a booking agent or something so I don't have to do it. But until that time comes, I'll just be a grinding away with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are you working on any new music at the moment? Obviously, you brought out every kind of dog this year. Are you looking at a full-length record next year or in the future? Oh, man, as quick as I can. Mm. Um, as, as quickly as I can. I've actually I've, I've spoken to Christian Charrington, mm. um, and I think we're going to try to record together um, at some point when our schedules can mm. align. Um, I'm going to try to go down to uh, to Birmingham and oh, record sick. with him. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a full-length written and mm-hmm. ready to go it's just i just need the studio time and and uh and a little bit of effort and the team behind me to make it happen mm-hmm. but yeah i'm really eager to put it out it's like every kind of dog was was great um like great for me mm-hmm. to have accomplished and done but like the moment i'm done recording i'm pretty much finished with those songs mm-hmm. like okay that's it like i'll I'll play them live, but I don't ever want to hear that shit again. Yeah, is that from just the constant like songwriting process to the recording to the mix and the mastering? Because it it took me a good while after the mix and the mastering to be able to hear any of my shit again. Yeah, that and like honestly, I hate I hate the sound of my own voice. Mm. I was like, I don't even like I don't like listening to myself. But enough enough strangers do for me to keep doing it. But yeah. Like, once it's recorded and done, I I just don't want to hear my own shit. Mm. Yeah. And do you have an approach to this full length in a different aspect, like in a different mindset or anything to every kind of dog or grave dancer? Is there a, like, obviously you were talking about wanting to draw on a bit more of like a wider shared experience. Is that kind of like your goal with that is to keep trying to, you know, broaden your perspective of things as well as wear your heart on your sleeve? Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, I think for the full length, my, you know, the vision that I have for it will be a mixture of the first two, you mm. know, um, but also implementing, like you said, something to widen the audience um, or widen, you know, widen the appeal and the lyrical content and yeah. that, um, but also just to be a bit more dynamic. Mm. Um you know, include a little bit of everything that I've teased at so far and, and then some mm. like uh well the the way Devil's Garden ends on every kind of dog, like you can expect you can expect some more like heavy stuff mm. to happen in parts of, of the full length and whatnot. Yeah. Mm. So I yeah, I don't know exactly what it's gonna sound like yet, but I have a pretty good yeah like vision for what I think I want to do. Yeah. Cool, man. That's so interesting. And that's what I really like about your style is like this gear and maybe a bit of last year, I had a, like, I, I lost my voice, not like physically, but in terms of like who I was and what I was meant to sound like. And it was that same thing mm. as where, where you're listening to so many people that you're like, what, what am I actually meant to fucking sound like? What, what's actually fun for me? Yeah. And it took me a while to get back onto like, that the right track of what I actually wanted to do as opposed to like what I thought I should do. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I get that. Yeah. That's tricky. That line to walk. What's that? It's a tricky line to like walk, I think. Yeah, it's just like a tightrope walk because you you want people to enjoy it and so like you feel pressured to kind of lean in certain directions. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I think if I was given like complete free reign in a studio and had like like did you ever see Walk Hard? The Dewey Cox. The Dewey Cox story. Yeah. Did you, you know the scene where he's just like, I need an army of didgeridoos, 10,000 <laughs> didgeridoos. Like, that would be me in a, in the studio if money was no option. Yeah. And I was just like given an orchestra. I would. Yeah. Unless you can open your mind and learn to play the fucking theremin. <laughs> uh, it, it would end up being real weird, but I think. I think I'd, I'd like to do something like that one day. Mm. But yeah, to, to stay slightly within the confines, that's part of the reason I really want to record with Charrington. Um, mm. He's really good at telling you what you need to hear. Mm. Um, not that fucking sucked, mate. But, you know, <laughs> like, hey, uh, let's let's go this direction or yeah. let's cut that section and maybe try that. Like, he's, he's good at... Uh, at steering the song yeah. in the direction it needs to go. That's really interesting, man. Have you worked with a kind of producer before? Like obviously, I assume Christian's kind of in that capacity. But have you worked with someone like that before? Um, not me personally. Um, we when we recorded uh, the gospel according to Sean James, mm. when we recorded that with Adam Putman out of Arkansas, and he was very much. Um, throw a water bottle at your head if you hit a note wrong, <laughs> uh, but with a smile on his face, you yeah. know, but yeah, he was, he was really uh, no bullshit. And I liked, I liked working with that. Some mm-hmm. folks did not enjoy that as much, but I, I got real thick skin, man. So if, if someone needs to tell me something I need to hear, I can mm-hmm. usually hear it with a, well, I got, I got a pocket full of grains of salt, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, man. Like, I've not worked with any producers and stuff. I don't know if I'm ready to hear the feedback of, like, this is just not working. But I think that might work. Again, you have to try and find, like, a person who gels well. You know, I think Christian's a good fit for you in terms of his, like, character and who he is and what his tastes are. Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. It's it's not just that he'll tell you that sucked and don't do that. Yeah. But he also, like... He's also great at saying, hey, this thing that you're doing, that is working. That's really good. Let's go that direction a bit more. Mm. Or like, you know, he'll say that lyric or that part really pulled me in. So let's explore that a bit. Mm. Um, yeah, really looking forward to working with him whenever yeah. that actually happens. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm with kind of your sound. Are you obviously with the EPs and with the records you've had? other instruments on it and stuff are you looking at doing it more diverse outside of like acoustic stuff so you'd be going heavier with is that with like electric guitars and shit as well yeah yeah so i, I went out and like man i i will fully commit to an idea <laughs> before anything else is in place like for this next thing i just went and bought an orange full stack with a thunderbird 200 uh 
and like, yeah, that's going to be featured quite a bit on yeah. it. But I also want, there's going to be like heavy, heavy uh, string section and like some clarinet and stuff in there. It's, mm. it's going to be pretty across the board and how I'll ever recreate it live. Who fucking knows? <laughs> yeah. I think but, that's an interesting thing though. And I think that was one of the things I kind of learned from Sean was it doesn't have to be what it is on the record. Like the record exists in its own little thing as itself. It's, yeah. And then you can kind of do whatever the fuck you want live with it. Yeah. The the record is almost like uh, a time capsule. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is what was happening in that studio for those few weeks of recording, but the song still has life to be breathed into it outside of the recording. Uh I think it was, it was Zach Wild. I was I was watching some interviews with Zach Wild from Black La- Black Label Society, um, and he was like in the green room, like kind of upset. I think they cut his uh they cut his set list time. And he's like, well, that only gives me like only X amount of time to do improvised solos and stuff. And his whole point was like, hey man, like these people paid money to come see me play guitar for them i don't want to play them my cd yeah like you want to listen to my cd go sit in your fucking car and listen to the cd you paid money to see me play guitar i'm gonna give you a one night you know like you right now in the audience you're getting this one show yeah this song is gonna sound this way for the one night and yeah i i like took out my pen and pad and was like hmm okay yeah hang on to that little nugget of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's kind of like, that's what kind of draws the line between like an entertainer and a performer or, you know, an entertainer and an artist is like, you aren't trying to do the exact same thing. You're never trying to replicate, even if you're playing a song, you know, if it's a song you recorded and wrote, just singing it and your guitar, you might just emphasize a word differently or leave a breath yep. in a different space. And it just changes the whole dynamic and more, more importantly it keeps it interesting for you who has to play that song a fucking thousand times yeah yeah exactly like um like you said my last uk tour was october and then i'm coming back through hitting up a lot of the same places in january and my whole goal here is like shit i've got to give them a different show than mm. they had last time mm. you know like I, I can't just come back through and be like hey remember me these are the same songs you heard and Mm. same song and dance and everything and like please invite me back but no if if people are coming back to see me again i've got to make it like i'm humbled by that so i want to meet that expectation for them to want to come back a third time you know like yeah and do you change yeah do you change your set when you're touring live like on this tour did you put stuff in different order like for me what i always try and do is i don't write the set list till i get to the venue so I can kind okay, of that's get, interesting. get the vibe of it. Cause I, I like, I know all my songs and shit. So like for this Cam Cole tour, it's obviously a heavy blues tour. So I'm mm-hmm. going to just, you know, all my heaviest songs, all my fastest songs. Occasionally if the crowd's right, I'll slow it down for a bit, but I won't write a set list until I get there. Do you have that kind of uh, freedom for what you do? Or do you like want it to have like a bit more set out, like before you get to the place? Um, a little bit more set out. I like. Mm. I'll have a, a loosely based set list that mm. I'll play off of. Uh, but like you said, I think on on the night and in the moment, I'll 
scrap a song from the set uh, or switch switch up the the placement of them mm. or the worst like I was just saying if I if 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 I got a a double decker uh, person in the audience mm. like someone that I know was at a show yeah a week ago and has come back for a second time is oh shit okay well I have to make it different for them it cannot mm. be the same set that they saw last week yeah. um but yeah I'm, I'm not quite as uh wait till i get to the venue mm. um, i usually have something loosely written out yeah yeah normally i know what i'll open with kind of stays the same like between like two or three songs yeah. but then i know if it's like a coffee shop i'll go like a bit lighter and if i if i'm there and i can yeah. tell the crowd's gonna be fucking talking the entire way through it I scrap every single like light song so it's just yeah. me shouting over them for a bit yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean what's the point you yeah. read read your audience yeah yeah cool man well we're coming up to the hour mark and i don't want to keep you too long so you've got the january tour you've mm-hmm. got a new record coming out with uh, one of the things i wanted to talk to you about before i go was um the azalea video is so fucking likable and so catchy was that in your head, obviously, you were nearly savaged by wolves filming American Hearts, and that was yeah. like a viral moment for, you know, that time when that video came out. Was it in yeah. your head how important, like, video content is to be doing these type of things? Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit. That was um, really what I, what I wanted is I wanted to put a video out, and I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be something entertaining mm-hmm. not not just another video um of a dude playing a guitar which that was the whole you know it starts off me sitting on the back of a pickup truck in the middle of a cattle field and that was very intentional that's like your most generic yeah. arkansas singer songwriter video and then i just thought like within three seconds of it starting i'll just hurl the guitar out of my hands and and did someone catch that or did that yeah, yeah. My, cool. my buddy, my buddy Russell was there, and I probably threw that guitar at him twelve to fifteen times before we got the take we needed. So he was just like diving for it because <laughs> you know I'm looking at the camera, yeah. I wasn't looking over at Russell. Yeah, that was the thing that worried me, man, because I know it went. And I was like, someone's got to be on the other side of that to catch it. But yeah. I was like, on. Oh, no. Yeah. Thank you, Russell Smith, wherever you are in the world right now for catching that guitar perfectly every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No but yeah, um I, I I wanted I wanted to put a video out, but I didn't want it to be just another dude sitting on a truck singing yeah. a song. So that was the inspiration behind it. Yeah. And you didn't want to get attacked by a wolf while you were out of Yeah, well. and I I didn't want to risk laughing limb again just to go viral. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a worry man i went um wolf walking last year okay my missus's birthday in the lake district is like they're not full wolves they're like 90 percent wolf so it's like oh, right. their mum's a wolf and their dad's like another not wolf interesting yeah so we I went bet, walk yeah. like in enclosures or just and, wild and so they're on leads so they like pull up in a truck and you put your hand to them so they smell you and then, like the yeah. paint, the person who's with them or the couple that like have them, let them out. And then you like walk them around like these fields in the Lake District and shit, and howl with them. And 
That's awesome. Yeah, man. But it was because obviously in the American Hearts video, you're looking back to this fucking wolves around shit. But yeah. that was um, it was my missus's birthday, and it was the day I proposed. So I had the ring in my oh, pocket, at home. and um, they were talking about the wolves and stuff, and they were like, "One thing, don't crouch down by these fucking things." And I was like, "Propose when I get home, then." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you did you do it no because it was literally i've got a video one of the wolves jumped up on him siobhan boss we all have to like howl with them and yeah. even then that was like oh shit it was fine but they were like yeah don't crouch down near these things so it was like i can't take a fucking knee yeah <laughs> these yeah. things well, well playing foiled <laughs> yeah shortest engagement ever dang dude <laughs> but you but i mean i see the ring on your finger you yeah got it done. Yeah, I got married in October. That was the thing because Sean and you played Liverpool like two or three days after I got married. So I was oh, up in like yeah. two or three days. Yeah. So That's I was up. Amazing. I was up in Loch Ness while you were doing all that tour. So Chester was like the end of the tour before you went to Ireland. So I got tickets for that one instead because obviously like Liverpool okay. would have been closer and shit. But yeah, I messaged Sean and was like, "You just had to fucking do it on my honeymoon, didn't you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I didn't realize, like you, when when I met you, you you said you had just got married. I yeah. kind of assumed you meant like two or three months ago, not like a few days ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I even got um, you know, my coaster for. I didn't see the Loch Ness monster, but oh, nice. Went around on it. <laughs> Did y'all go up to um, uh, what's that town up there? Not Inverness, but like in. Oh, we went to Inverness. We drove through. Is it Fort Augustus at the bottom? Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I can't remember the name of the town we actually like stayed in. We had like a little log cabin for the week just outside of town to just like watch all the badges and pine martens and shit and around. Yeah. Where about are you up in Scotland? I'm in Perthshire. And what's Uh, it like around there? Are you surrounded by wildlife or is that more of like a town and things? uh pretty rural mm. yeah yeah it's, it's like it's like mostly like potato fields berry berry farms and like rapeseed fields mm. but we're we're on like the the foothills of the highlands nice i mean literally if you if you walk up the hill behind my house you can see the snow caps of the highlands so like, it's it's beautiful yeah. beautiful spot man that's thing man scotland's so fucking gorgeous i don't know how if Scotland ends up joining the European Union again without England, I think I might have to move up to Scotland and try Dude, and get it. a citizenship up there because it's so fucking nice up that way. Yeah, yeah. it's gorgeous. But I, like we were talking about earlier, it's um, there's for what we do, yeah, there's nothing, no, nothing at all. Like you, you can go an hour and a half south to Edinburgh and find a little bit, mm. but. Um, yeah, it it's beautiful. If you like to hack and be out in in wilderness and stuff, mm-hmm. can't recommend it highly enough. But if if you're trying to catch a live show, yeah, pretty regularly, yeah, it's like the place to do yeah. it. Like, I have a friend who's up in it's like the past the Shetland Isles, and he has to like oh. get yeah yeah he has to get a ferry down to just see a gig. And obviously the ferry cost him. So he's like, if I want to see a gig, it's like an extra 150 pound a fucking go. So I have to make it count. And yeah. it was like him and his daughter drove down to Bloodstock, like the metal festival. And that was like a 12 hour fucking trip just to get there. And then a 12 yeah. hour trip back. I was like, 
fuck that man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh my one of my favorite phrases I've I've heard about the difference between UK and America is uh in in America a hundred years is a long time. In the UK a hundred miles is a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have that perspective? Obviously, as an American, and America is so fucking huge, does a six-hour drive deter you in the same way? That, like, when not, I... No. No, not at all. Not at all, dude. I, there, I, I hear people be like, oh, that's three hours away not driving that far. And that's like, that's just what you do. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. want to see a band or something, that's that's just what you do. You're about to drive for five, six hours sometimes. Yeah, because I've got um, Luke Hendrickson, a Minnesotan artist coming over in April and May, and I've plotted out the tour route for him and stuff, and he was like, there's not enough driving in this. Oh, yeah. I was like, this covers the entire of the UK. I was like, but you also on some British audiences won't drive more than like 40 minutes for a gig. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can get from like Inverness to London in a day yeah that's phenomenal like there there are often there were many tours when i was in the shapeshifters where we drove all day long camped on the side of the road and then woke up and drove for six more hours and that's just the next gig man yeah. like yeah it's crazy man i think that's what like i've tried to have that mindset for touring the uk to be like yeah it's a four it's four hours away that's fine because i did norwich the other week and i was on a sunday okay. i was like Fuck it, four hours there, four hours back is what it is. But I know it's that still. I tell people I'm driving that and they're like, is it worth it? And I'm like, yeah, because I need to get Absolutely. play a gig yeah. and meet some people. Yeah, and, and that driving time, I don't know about you, but for me, like that's when I digest yeah. new albums and like podcasts and stuff where I never get the opportunity yeah. to like listen to and actually sink into the music i'm listening to yeah nothing better than a surround sound in a car for that for hours on the end yeah i love it man like this like throughout the pandemic i've just fell behind on all my podcasts and shit so it's been amazing to have like those drives to just trying to catch up on everything and just sit alone with it yeah yeah Yeah. what are you listening to um well at the moment i'm listening to like the mark Marin podcast and the always sunny one Mm -hmm. the behemoth record i've gone the same this artist, Siv, showed me called Kiki Rockwell, this girl who's doing weird, like, it's kind of like synth poppy Wiccan stuff. It's okay. really, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's been really, like, just fun to listen to. And then I've just been hammering really, like, John Prine and Guy Clark lately, just, yeah. just hammering those guys. And yeah. then I've kind of, I, I've just been complete, like, this is the first podcast I've recorded since September. Because I've just kind of been fucking, oh, wow. okay. I've just been bent out with like the music side of things and like listening to like because I'm doing like road country and finding new artists and stuff, it's just too much. Like, like you were saying before, man, it's only so many spoons. Yeah, and I was like, I need to take a fucking breather from listening to anything new or like going out and actively trying to find new things. So, a lot of like comfort stuff, like I've been listening to Jamie Wyatt's things. I picked up him. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix, the stand up special? I've seen a few of his, but I don't know if I've yeah. seen that specific. Like, he recorded it during lockdown and it's just him in one room. No, I haven't seen that. 
I've been fucking obsessed with it since it came out. I got they released it on vinyl last week, so I picked up a copy. And okay. I've just been fucking obsessed with that. So that's to be honest, like my Spotify rap I didn't share because like literally the top five songs is just fucking this Bo Burnham special Bo- <laughs> that I've just been hammering. Okay. Well, I'll definitely check it out, man. Yeah. And then it's obviously we had a, a wedding playlist because we did like a Spotify playlist. So it was a ton of just like all the comfort music we were listening to and then a load of kiss and Ace Frehley yeah. and just that type of thing. And then uh, Chris Christopherson. But new stuff. Yours is probably some of the newest stuff I've been listening to, if I'm honest. Awesome. Then, Thanks, yeah, man. Yeah, and Possessed by Paul James and just going through those type of artists just because I really fucking enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you know... Um, oh, um, it's getting late. My brain's starting to starting to freeze up here. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's gone. No, it's cool, man. Well, we'll call it there so you can let your uh, brain recharge and get some rest and stuff but i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and it's a pleasure to chat with you again thanks so much for having me on man and there we have it folks that's episode 42 of into the van into the bag please go check out grave dancers uk tour hitting glasgow edinburgh newcastle sheffield leeds london southampton hastings manchester belfast and dublin from the 7th of june to the 17th of june and then he's back in bergenhead with possessed by paul james on the 29th of june Check out his record, Every Kind of Dog. It's fucking phenomenal. Check out his self-titled EP. And keep listening to his music, man. Keep supporting the things you love. Get ready for Mothman. That's going to be coming soon. Keep listening. Please go give us a rating on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. And keep doing and supporting the things you love. Peace.